encourage you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 4 and in chapter 10. So if you'll find chapter 4 and then put your finger over in 10, we'll start reading at 414 and uh, then go over to 1019. It's exciting to know that as we gather for worship this morning here in the worship center, we have others joining us in the gym venue and on our Liberty Hill campus, and that we are all one family, and that we are experiencing together a time of worship and a time in the Word. So Hebrews 4.14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then chapter 10, verse 19, this is a parallel passage. You'll see the similarity between these two passages. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, think of that, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, In these two passages of Scripture, wavering believers were being encouraged to hold fast their confession by drawing near to God and other believers. And you know, that's a message that we need in our lives as believers. We can persevere in the difficulties that we face in our Christian walk by drawing near to God and drawing near to other believers. There are three appeals in these two passages of Scripture, and we're going to look at each of those appeals. All three begin with let us. Appeal number one, let us hold fast our confession. Appeal number two, let us draw near to God. And appeal number three, let us consider one another to care for one another. Appeal number one is found in chapter 4. We're going to camp out in chapter 4 for a little while and then hop over to 10, so you'll want to have your word open there. Verse 14 says, let us hold fast our confession, and the parallel in 10 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Those word, that word hold fast, or those words hold fast, mean to cling tenaciously, to king, cling and keep on clinging to our confession of faith. 
in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging a group of believers to keep following Jesus. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't throw in the towel. Hold on tight to Jesus and keep following him and living a life that honors him. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We're not told. And we're also not told to whom it was written. Probably was written to a group of believers in Rome about 30 years after the death of Christ. They were probably meeting in a house church since there weren't church buildings in that day and time. It was probably a, a part of a network of house churches in that city of Rome. And we don't, but we do know that they were experiencing persecution, and we know that from reading the book. And we do know that the persecution had gone on so long that they were vacillated. They were in danger of abandoning their faith, coming to the point of believing that it wasn't worth it to follow Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. So this letter was written to encourage them to hold fast their confession of faith in Christ in the midst of difficulty and persecution. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt it just might not be worth it to follow Jesus anymore? It's just not working out the way I thought it would when I made a decision to follow him. There are many more difficulties than I ever experienced would happen. And, and I would say if we're honest with each other, most of us would confess that there have been times in our lives that the circumstances have been such that we've entertained the thought that it might not, it just might not be worth it to continue in our walk with Christ. I've certainly been there more than once. Life isn't easy. Following Jesus isn't easy. We're not promised it is. When we come to faith in Christ, we're not promised that he will exempt us from the trials and the difficulties and the suffering of this life. But we are promised, as we're going to see in this passage of Scripture, that he provides the resources that we need to persevere in times of difficulty. Look also at verse 14 again. Since we have a great high priest, let us hold fast our confession. We can hold fast our confession of faith in Jesus Christ because we have a great high priest. Now, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the high priest was the only person who could enter the Holy of Holies in the temple where the glory of God dwelt. And he entered the Holy, Holies, Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to, uh, uh, to sprinkle the blood sacrificed from an animal, atoning the sins first of himself and then of the people. That sacrificial system was intended to point ahead to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross once for all. So the writer is saying, that's the way it used to be. But now we have a great high priest who has made the greater sacrifice. And we can hold fast to our confession of faith in Christ because we have a great high priest who is superior to the Old Testament high priest. And he gives us what we need to hold on and endure in our walk with Christ. That is the assurance that we're given. And verse 14 says, also says we have a great high priest who has passed 
through the heavens. We can hold fast our confession of faith in Christ because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. The Old Testament high priest passed through the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. Our high priest, the great high priest, has passed through the heavens that separated us from the dwelling place of God, and he has entered into the presence of God himself. The Old Testament high priest offered up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. But our great high priest has sacrificed once for all when he offered up himself. The Old Testament high priest entered the Holy of Holies through the blood of goats and calves. But our great high priest entered entered through his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And then, after our great high priest had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and now we see him crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that he might taste death for everyone. And he is there now in the presence of God and Hebrews 7 says he always lives to make intercession for us when we have an advocate, according to 1 John. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He speaks to the Father in our defense, and he pleads our case before the Father. And because that is the case, we can hold fast our confession, even in the worst of circumstances. My grandfather was a pastor until he finally retired at about the age of 80. And after he was no longer in the pulpit, he made it his mission to support his pastor of his church who was in the pulpit. Now, I never heard him tell us that that was his mission, but we observed that it was because as his pastor was standing to preach, my grandfather sat about four rows back and he interceded for his pastor. Now, the reason we know he interceded is because we could hear him praying three and four rows either direction from where he was. He was deaf and couldn't hear, and he thought he was whispering under his breath, but he was actually talking uh, at the no level most normal people talk. And I would hear him say, help him, Lord, help him, Lord. He would intercede. I mean, he was working hard with the pastor and interceding for the pastor. Help him, Lord. Help him, Lord. And every once in a while when the pastor said something he really liked, he'd say, that's right, a little louder, and then switch back into his prayer mode. And you know, that's the way I picture Jesus, our great high priest who has entered passed through the heavens into the very presence of God, that he is there on my behalf and your behalf. And he's saying, Lord, remember David. I shed my blood for him. He's trusted me. He belongs to us. He's a part of the family. You know what he's going through, Lord. Help him, Lord. Help him, Lord. Help him, Lord.
Now, we also heard my grandfather sometimes pray, help him to hush, Lord, help him to hush. <laughs> Maybe uh, he was ready to go home, you know, or he didn't like what the pastor was saying. So I hope you're out there praying for me this morning. Help him, Lord, help him, Lord, not help him to hush, Lord, okay? Please, please. Verse 14 says this great high priest is Jesus, the Son of God. And we can hold fast our confession of faith in Christ because we have a great high priest who is Jesus, the Son of God. Our great high priest is superior to the Old Testament high priest. The Old Testament high priest was a man like you and me, but our great high priest was a man, Jesus, who was at the same time fully the Son of God. And why is that important? If anybody's going to have the ear of the Father, who's it going to be? His Son, in whom He is well pleased. So it's important for us to remember we could have no better high priest than the high priest we have who intercedes for us in the presence of the Father as we walk through the difficulties of this life. Well, we may think, well, since he's the Son of God um, and he's interceding for me, but maybe he really doesn't understand what I'm going through if he's the Son of God. But read on, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. We can hold fast to our confession of faith in Christ because we have a great high priest who understands what we're going through. That word sympathize means to suffer with. He under, not only stand, understands what we're going through, but he suffers when we suffer. That word weaknesses to, refers to all the frailties of human nature. He suffers with us in our sickness in our physical weaknesses and imperfections. He suffers with us in our moral weakness and in our weaknesses to overcome temptation and our propensity to sin. He understands and he helps us in our temptation because he has been tempted in all things as we are. That is, Jesus has been fully tempted just to the same extent that you and I have been tempted you can read about his temptations in the wilderness that's in the gospel messages and also in the Garden of Gethsemane where he wrestled with temptation to accomplish God's purpose in his own way and Satan tempted him. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When you're going through a hard time, have you ever just thought, I, I really just wish somebody could understand what I'm going through? We need human beings, our fellow Christians, to understand what we're going through as we share with them. And they can understand, but there's nobody who understands the way Jesus understands and we can rest assured that we have a great high priest who fully and completely understands everything that we go through. And verse 15 adds, yet without sin. Could he have sinned? Yes, 
he could have sinned. As a human being, Jesus felt the full force of temptation, and the temptations he faced were real, inviting him to sin. And if he had not been able to sin, then they would not have been temptation. Yet at the same time, he was God, and as God, he would not and did not sin. Now, I can't explain all that to you. That's part of the dilemma of understanding who Jesus is as fully God and fully man. But the one thing we know, he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way, just as we are. So appeal number one is let us hold fast our confession. And appeal number two is let us draw near to the throne of grace. And you see that in verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The parallel passage in 10 says, since we have confidence, confidence to, enter the blood of, to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near. Therefore, indicates that verse 16 is based on 14 and 15. The reasoning goes like this. We can hold our confession to our confession of faith in Christ because we have a great high priest, and our great high priest gives us access to the throne of grace. Therefore, we can hold fast our confession as we draw near to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in time of need. That word draw near is a present tense verb. It means to draw near continually, not just every once in a while. Oh, what a privilege we've been given that we are able to enter the very presence of God, that we have direct access to him through his son, Jesus Christ. We don't need a priest to intercede for us. We go to him into his very presence because of our great high priest and his sacrifice on our behalf. How easy it is for me to take that for granted and to neglect that privilege. It is to be a continual habit in our lives to draw near to the throne of grace. And that throne refers to God's throne. It's a throne of grace. Notice it's not a throne of judgment. And why is it not a throne of judgment? It's because of what Jesus, our great high priest, has done on our behalf. Apart from him, we could not approach that throne without dying. But because of him, we approach that throne with confidence that when we show up there, we'll find grace, favor, and approval. Not based on who we are, but based on who Jesus is and the sacrifice he made of himself on our behalf. So we approach with assurance and confidence and boldness, not a cockiness, but a humility. We can't strut into the throne room as, with, as if we've earned the right or privilege. It's totally a gift of grace, and we come humbly, but confidently knowing what his response will be. In ancient times, the people did not have confidence to go to a palace and walk into the king's throne room un unannounced and say, hey, king, I just thought I'd drop by and have a chat. That didn't happen because to walk into a king's presence unannounced would usually result in death. The Jewish people 
of the day would not have entertained driving down to the temple and walking into the Holy of Holies and saying, hey God, here I am, I just thought I'd come by, I need to have a chat. That could not have happened and would not have happened. But Jesus, our great high priest, changed everything and we have that access because of him. And what happens when we show up there? We receive mercy, we find grace, and we find time to help, uh, help in our time of need. Notice what it doesn't say we find when we draw near to the throne. It doesn't say we find answers. Sometimes the difficulties we're going through cause us to ask all those why questions that we as human beings ask. And we're not promised if we draw near to the throne, we'll be given the answers to the all, all the why questions. But we are promised if we draw near to the throne that we'll receive mercy and we'll receive grace and we'll receive help in our time of need so we can hold fast to our confession of faith in Jesus Christ and persevere through the difficulties and the sufferings that we're walking through. Appeal number one, let us hold fast our confession. Appeal number two, let us draw near to God. Appeal number three, let us consider one another to care for one another. You need to turn over to chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 to see this. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as, the ha as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. The basic thought there is let us consider one another. That means let us observe each other and watch each other so we know how we need to care for each other as we're walking through difficult times. And it says that we're to care for one another with love, good deeds, and encouragement. And when we care for one another in these ways, then we provoke one another or we stimulate one another or we motivate one another to love and good deeds and encouragement. We stimulate and create a culture of care within the church. And that culture of care for one another helps us hold fast our confession during times of difficulty and suffering. Notice the verse also refers to assembling together. This refers to the regular gathering of the church for worship and, a, and fellowship. And what the scripture is telling us is that we must assemble together regularly if we're going to be able to consider one another. How can we observe each other and watch out for each other and know how to minister to each other and care for each other in times of guilt, difficulty unless we're gathering together to know each other and sharing our lives with each other? And he says, some have given up meeting with other believers. They're in trouble as far as holding fast to the confession of faith. They're in trouble. And that's what's being said here. Those of you who are still gathering, don't give it up. Hang in. Continue to gather. And then when you do gather, spend enough time with each other in open, honest community, sharing your hearts and your struggles that you know each other 
and know how to care for each other. That's to be the culture of our church and any church. And then you'll notice the phrase encouraging one another. Encouragement is both the purpose and the result of assembling together as a church. We assemble for encouragement to receive encouragement for others. We go to church because we say, I need to be there. I've got to have that encouragement. And we gather with our church family to give encouragement to others. And then we leave encouraged to keep holding fast to our confession of faith in Christ. Our gatherings as a church are to be a refuge of encouragement in a world of heartache and pain and suffering and discouragement. We need to encourage each other so well and love each other so deeply and do good deeds for each other so faithfully that we make up for all the trials and the suffering that we're experiencing and we then come to the conclusion it is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it to continue following Jesus in the midst of all these difficulties because I have a church family and I have a God that I access who make up for what I experience with them makes up for any sacrifice I make and any difficulty I experience because I'm following Jesus Christ. Our church is to be the family we come to for encouragement. So there's three appeals. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us draw near to God, to the throne of grace. And let us consider one another how to care for one another. We can hold fast and persevere to the degree that both of those second appeals, the second and third appeals, are in place in our lives. It is not either draw near to God or care for one another. It's both and. The only way we can hold fast to our confession of faith in Christ is if we're continually and regularly drawing near to the throne of grace and if we're regularly assembling with God's people. It's both and. And how do we do that? How do we draw near to God and other believers? We do it through prayer, privately praying, and pouring out our hearts before the Lord, all the pain and the suffering and the difficulty we're going through, pouring it, it out at his feet, and then praying with other believers in corporate worship and small group. It's got to be both, not just one. We draw near to God and other believers through God's Word by personally reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, studying it, and also gathering with other believers to hear it taught and preached in corporate worship and discussed and applied in small group discussion. We draw near to God and other believers in worship, our private times of worship where we're on our knees before the Lord, drawing near to the throne of grace, and our corporate times of worship where we together draw near the throne of grace as a church family and hold each other up. And we draw near to God and other believers through authentic community, honestly and sharing 
our struggles, our thoughts and feelings with trusted people, opening our hearts so that others know us as we really are. See, the goal in authentic community is to know each other fully and to be fully known, loved, and accepted. The only way we can consider each other to observe and watch each other, to know how to care for each other, is if we're willing to be honest about what we're going through and open our lives to each other to admit our struggles and our needs. So what keeps us from drawing near to God and other believers? There's a lot, I think, that does. Two things came to mind as I was looking at this passage. One is our shame. Our shame keeps us from drawing near to the Lord and other believers. We struggle with feelings of unworthiness and defectiveness, and, and we fear exposure. We fear what might be happen, what might happen if we pull back the curtain of our hearts and lives and let people see into the real person that we are. So we withdraw and isolate from the Lord and other people, and shame destroys the confidence that we need to draw near to the throne of grace and open our lives to other believers. Another thing that stands in the way of our pride, but before I talk, uh, before I talk about that, just to refer to the fact that our shame has been addressed by our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Our shame wants us to, uh, to makes us want to withdraw and isolate and hide, but we have a great high priest who was shamed and exposed for us on the cross. He bore our shame to the cross. It was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And when we approach his throne and approach his people with confidence, exposing the truth about himself, we are met not with ridicule or rejection or disdain. We are met with mercy and grace and love and encouragement. So just as I draw near to the throne of God with confidence that I'm going to receive mercy and grace to help me in my time of need, so I assemble with my church with the confidence that I'm going to be encouraged and loved and helped by good deeds if they know what's really going on in my life, those trusted people. Another thing I think that keeps us from drawing near to the Lord and other believers is our pride. It's this attitude that says, I have access to God, and he's all I need, and I don't need anyone else. I kind of believe that's the way I heard this teaching as I was growing up. I don't know if it was in, taught that way or intended to be, but I think I heard it that way, that I have direct access to God. I don't need anybody to intercede before me for me before God other than my great high priest Jesus Christ so that takes care of it Jesus is all I need and I don't really need anybody else I love this song by country music singer Josh Turner and bluegrass legend Ralph Stanley it's called me and God is the name of the song um, I've always wondered why me comes first. I always thought from the time I very 
first time I heard that song, I thought it ought to be God and me. I would have been afraid to name it me and God, I think. Not a, I love Josh Turner. He's a believer. I'm just observing. I think the song expresses the way we sometimes carry out this access that we have to God. He says, me, uh, there ain't nobody, there ain't nothing that can't be done by me and God. Ain't nobody come in between me and God. One day we'll live together where angels trod, me and God. Early in the morning, talking it over, me and God. Late at night, talking it over, me and God. You could say we're like two peas in a pod. This is deep theology. Me and God. He's my father. He's my friend, the beginning and the end. He made the world. He rules the world with a staff and rod. We're a team, me and God. And if we're not careful, as believers, we can take this approach. I have access to God. He and I are a team. We don't need anybody else. We're out there to do what we want to do, no matter what anybody else thinks, and we don't really need them. I wonder if that's one of the reasons we have so many Baptist denominations and groups and so many churches. Because we as Baptists who have emphasized that we all have direct access to God and we don't need anybody to intercede for us, no priest, no human being, and we take that to me to justify our own opinions and to challenge the authority of those the Lord has placed in leadership of the, over the church, and we hold on to opinions no matter if they're wreaking havoc or not, and division results. So I'm just saying, it's probably should have been titled, God other believers, and me. Now, I'm sure Josh Turner doesn't, didn't mean what I'm saying in the way I'm using this illustration. But this scripture clearly calls us as believers to persevere in the suffering and the difficulty that is normal in the Christian life. We can't, we are not exempt from it and won't be till we go to heaven. And the way we persevere, the way we persevere is by regularly drawing near to the throne of grace and equally right beside that, regularly observing one another as we gather for worship to encourage each other in our walk with Christ. How are you doing with that? That's the calling that we have. The beginning of this year, our pastor said this is the year of new life in Christ. And we started the year with a sermon series and special life group lessons, and a devotional prayer guide, and testimonies on Wednesday night. And today is the first Sunday in June. It's six months later. We're halfway through the year. We're called to a journey of new life in Christ, and that journey of new life in Christ involves two things. 
drawing near to God, the throne of grace regularly, and opening our lives to other believers. Most of us have a pretty easy time with the first thing, drawing near to God. We have more of a challenge with the second thing, opening our lives to other believers. Let me ask you this. Back in January, when we were walking through all that material, did the Spirit of God speak to you and say to you, you know, I need to act on that. I need to do something about connecting with trusted believers in this fellowship and really opening my heart and life to them? Probably most of us were prompted by the Spirit in regard to that. So the question we ask ourselves today, how am I doing? Have I followed through? Am I connecting the way I'm being called to connect? There are a lot of ways to do it. We'll be happy to talk to you about them.